Well, guys, we're continuing through our Out of Egypt series, and what you can see on the screen there, part 11. I believe this is the last one of these, and we're, then we start into a new, uh, new series, but it will be continuing through the Bible. We've already heard, as we were receiving communion today, a uh, reminder of last week we were talking about the tabernacle, and my dad managed to hit every piece of, of every item in that tabernacle, including the curtains, and talk about how all of that points to Jesus and fit all of that into one message. That was impressive. And my, my only task today is to talk about what would happen then once a year, we talked about the high priest could only enter into that holy of holies, the place behind the curtain where the Ark of the Covenant, the Ark of the Presence of God, where the very presence of God w- was, once a year, the high priest could go in there. And uh, that was called the Day of Atonement. So today I'm talking about the Day of Atonement. And really we're talking about the atonement. What does this mean? What in the world does it mean to atone for something? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you a little bit um, from, from some Jewish culture, and this is really serious. Are you ready for this? Can you sense the sarcasm already? It's very, very serious. Modern Jewish culture calls the Day of Atonement. It's called Yom Kippur. All that is is Hebrew for Day of Atonement. This year it happens to be on October 8th and 9th. The Jewish calendar, their day starts at sundown and goes until sundown the next day. So that's why the Day of Atonement falls on two of our calendar days. So leading up to the Day of Atonement, Jews will eat. Why? Because on the Day of Atonement, they can't eat. If, if they're Orthodox Jews or very pious Jews, many will not eat. It's a day of fasting. The Bible calls it a day of affliction. Uh, and, and we'll see that in this chapter a little bit. God calls them to afflict themselves. That does not mean to inflict wounds on yourself or doing, it means fasting. So they would fast. And then modern Jews will fast all the way up until a meeting at the end of the day of atonement. And then once the sun goes down, time to eat. And then it's feasting and feasting and making up for that day where they didn't get to eat anything. So Rabbi Ben Simmons, very devout rabbi, but he was a little frustrated because it was coming up the day of atonement. He was supposed to be fasting and afflicting himself the whole day, but the sun was out. The sun was shining and the golf course looked really good. Really good. And so he thought, I'm going to go out and I'm going to get in a few holes. Maybe I can get in nine holes. But he couldn't let anybody know because they're all supposed to be fasting and kind of it's, it's a day of repentance. It's a day of being very serious. And I guess you could have a serious golf game, but he was like, I got to do this. So he goes out, he goes golfing, and in true Jewish fashion, Moses is looking down from heaven, and Moses sees what's happening, and he looks at God and he says, are you seeing this? 
I think you should do something about this. Rabbi Ben Simmons goes out, hole in one. He goes to the next hole, hole in one. And Moses looks at God and he says, what are you doing? Aren't you going to punish him? And God says, who can he tell? (laughs) Who can he tell? Day of Atonement, though, is not about God's punishment of us. It's about God's plan for relationship with us. And here's a quick summary. We're going to read some of this, but here's a quick summary of Leviticus chapter 16. It talks about this Day of Atonement. The context is that Aaron, the high priest, his sons, Nadab and Abihu, thought it was great. The tabernacle is is set up. The presence of God is in place. And they went in to offer incense and to to offer, uh, essentially that's offering worship before the Lord. They went in and died. So everyone's thinking, hey, the tabernacle's in place. This is so good. The priests go in to minister death. And this is why God is setting in all of this, these rules around the day of atonement and how to approach his presence. Because sinful man, no matter how much we've repented, no matter how much we've tried to be good, short of God doing something in us, sinful man cannot approach God. It just can't happen. So Israel is called to this day of fasting. The high priest brings several animals. He brings a bull to sacrifice. He brings two goats. One will be sacrificed. One will be sent away. We'll talk about that in a little bit. And he brings two rams to be sacrificed as burnt offerings. One for himself, one for the people. Then the high priest, he can go into the Holy of Holies. He'll sprinkle the blood of the offering on the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. Then their offerings are made acceptable to the Lord. Now we're going to get into this. And we're going to read the first 14 verses of chapter 16. Again, reading from the English Standard Version here. The Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they drew near before the Lord and died. And the Lord said to Moses, tell Aaron, your brother, not to come at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat that is on the ark so that he may not die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. But in this way, Aaron shall come into the holy place with a bull from the herd for a sin offering, a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen coat, shall have the linen undergarment on his body. And he shall tie the linen sash around his waist and wear the linen turban. These are the holy garments. He shall bathe his body in water and then put them on. And he shall take from the congregation of the people of Israel two male goats for a sin offering, one ram for a burnt offering. Aaron shall offer the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. Then he shall take the two goats and set them before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Aaron shall cast lots over the two goats, one lot for the Lord, the other lot for Azazel. That simply means, that word Azazel 
literally means uh, a goat to take away. And Aaron shall present the goat on which the lot fell for the Lord and use it as a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot fell for Azazel shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement over it, that it may be sent away into the wilderness to Azazel. Aaron shall present the bull as a sin offering for himself and shall make atonement for himself and for his house. He shall kill the bull as a sin offering for himself. He shall take a censer full of the coals of fire from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of sweet incense beaten small. And he shall bring it inside the veil and put the incense on the fire before the Lord that the cloud of the incense may cover the mercy seat that is over the testimony so that he does not die. And he shall take some of the blood of the bull and sprinkle it with his finger on the front of the mercy seat on the east side. And in front of the mercy seat, he shall sprinkle some of the blood with his fingers seven times. We're going to stop right there for now. Before any offerings could be made, before any sacrifices were actually going to be offered on the fire before the Lord, before anything could be received from the Lord as what he'll often call a sweet aroma, before any of that could be acceptable, the high priest himself had to be made acceptable. We could bring the best offering. We could bring our best sacrifice of worship, the best offering of our time, the best offering of anything that God has given to us. But unless we're bringing that to a high priest that is himself made acceptable, it's not enough. It can never be enough. We need an acceptable high priest. And so the Aaron, the high priest at the time, Aaron would have to go through all of this ritual. Do you notice the very first thing, the first animal that was killed was a bull and it was to make atonement for Aaron. He had to make atonement for his own sins. He had to come and bring the blood of that bull and sprinkle it on the mercy seat but atoning for himself. We need a perfect mediator. We need a a mediator that has cleansed, that is holy. Aaron is wearing these, these perfect robes, the exact robes that God says you need to wear this. And I think you can probably already tell where this is going. There's a high priest that has fulfilled all of this, who fulfills all of this just in who he is, and his name is Jesus. Jesus is our great high priest, our mediator, the perfect mediator who can go right to God, right to the Father. He can do this. Guys, we all need someone, we need a mediator to go to God on our behalf. And Jesus is our mediator. He is the one. We we heard it read already during communion from Hebrews chapter seven. And I had this in my notes as well. 
where Jesus would go, when it says Jesus went in, he didn't have to make, he doesn't have to make atonement or sacrifices for himself and keep doing this or making any sacrifices for that matter over and over because he's done it once for all time. Hebrews seven twenty six and 27, we find out that the sacrifice was Jesus himself. He was the sacrifice. It was his own blood. He had no sin that he needed to atone for. He was perfect. He was the perfect mediator. And his sacrifice has been made once for all time. Once for all time. It's a done deal. You have a perfect mediator who has accomplished a perfect work. This is good news, guys. Because this means we have someone who can go to God on our behalf, happens to be God himself, God the Son going to God the Father on our behalf. So the first thing we really need, a perfect mediator, done. Check. Let's keep going. In verse 15, then he shall kill the goat of the sin offering that is for the people and bring its blood inside the veil and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, sprinkling it over the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. Thus he shall make atonement for the holy place because of the uncleannesses of the people of Israel and because of their transgressions, all their sins. And so he shall do for the tent of meeting, which dwells with them in the midst of their uncleanness. Uncleannesses. That's kind of hard to say. No one may be in the tent of meeting from the time he enters to make atonement in the holy place until he comes out and has made atonement for himself and for his house and for all the assembly of Israel. Then he shall go out to the altar that is before the Lord and make atonement for it and shall take some of the blood of the bull and some of the blood of the goat and put it on the horns of the altar all around. And he shall sprinkle some of the blood on it with his finger seven times and cleanse it and consecrate it from the uncleannesses of the people of Israel. So the second animal that we see here, we've seen the bull. Aaron had to use it to atone for himself. Now, this goat is to make atonement for the tabernacle itself that's become unclean just because of being around the people of God who couldn't be clean in and of themselves. So he's atoning for the very tabernacle and for the people. So we see this goat had to die. But you know what's really good? If you're one of those people, you didn't have to die. Well, thankfully, you don't have to. <laughs> that, that goat became the substitute. That goat was a, was a substitute, a substitutionary atonement. That's a big mouthful. Became a substitute for the people. Just as Jesus has become a substitute for us. In fact, not just a substitute the substitute with a capital T and a capital S, 
the substitute. Hebrews 9.12 tells us that Jesus is our once for all sacrifice, our perfect substitute. And that through his own blood, we heard this read during communion today, he has secured for us eternal redemption. I kind of feel like as we're reading through Leviticus, it's, it's like reading through the backstory. And you can read through and kind of go, wow, how, are we, how do we apply all of this? What's really helpful and my big cheat as I was preparing to speak today is the book of Hebrews in the New Testament because the writer of Hebrews is actually explaining all of this and telling us how everything in this points to Jesus and how Jesus fulfilled it all. So I'm, I'm, my job is made much easier through uh, Hebrews. So I'm really grateful that God saw fit to put that in there. Romans 3.23 through 25 tells us this for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. When we talk about a substitute, a substitute sacrifice has gone in your place. What we're talking about is making restitution, but not just making things right. When we're talking about atonement, this is making atonement for the people. The word you could think of with this is, you, I don't see it up there on the screen. It's not going to be up there. Think about the word atonement. A-T-O-N-E-M-E-N-T. Atonement. You can break that into three words. At, one, meant. Meant isn't a word by itself, but it's making us, restoring us to oneness with God. Where there was separation between us and God because of sin. Where there's brokenness there. The relationship has been messed up. But because of a substitute, because of the blood that is shed on our behalf, we can once again be at one with God. The atonement. Romans uses this other big word. There's several big words in this today. Propitiation. We use that a lot, don't we? You use that a lot in your daily life? Like never? Never, ever, ever, right? Me neither. Propitiation. So I need to have it defined when I read a word like this. What does this mean? It simply means an atoning sacrifice. A propitiation is an atoning sacrifice. And it enacts reconciliation. So when we read this, that God put Jesus forward as an atoning sacrifice and a reconciliation by his blood, we can receive what Jesus has done for us. He is our substitute. That God himself put forward. This was God's plan. This is God's will 
for there to be a substitute for you and a substitute for me that we can be at one with him. We can be reconciled to God. Isn't that cool? One more scripture that goes along with this. Ephesians 1, 7 and 8 says, In him, speaking of Jesus, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us. I love this. God's not looking to just deal with your sin. Now, the day of atonement, they had to do this every year because it could only cover their sin. They had to do it again and again. There was always this sense of remembering their sin, covering it, knowing they're going to have to do all this again later. And again, and again, and again. But through Jesus, we have redemption by his blood. We have the forgiveness of our trespass according to the riches of his grace. And he doesn't just give it to us a little bit. This is my favorite word in this. His grace, which he lavished upon us. You ever buttered a slice of bread? I hate when we take, like, you warm up toast or something. And then, like, maybe you're at a restaurant and they give you this tiny little pat of butter. And you're trying to get it to cover all the bread and it's just kind of this meager halfway buttered bread. I like to take my bread and lavishly butter it. I like it to have a lot of butter. I want to, I want to be able to taste that butter in there. Not just kind of a hint that my bread has a skim of something on it. When God atones for us. When Jesus has been put forth as a substitute in our place, it's so that God can lavish his grace onto us. This is God's heart for you and for me is to lavish his favor on us. Lavish. It's, it's, it's unearned favor. It's undeserved favor. It's not Like you did something to earn this. No, Jesus did something so you could have this. Jesus was your substitute. So you could have the favor of God, the grace of God on your life. And not just a little bit, lavished. That's God's heart for you. Not He's not meager toward you. He's not holding back on you just because he's stingy. Now, sometimes as a good father, he will hold some things back because he's teaching you something. He's not wanting to spoil you. He wants you to mature and grow up and learn how to manage things. He wants you to be able to manage relationships. And so he'll let you go through some hard stuff. He'll let you have some difficult people around you. Yep, he will do that. But none of that means... He's not lavishing his favor on you because he is. This is what God does. Now, we're going to keep reading. Because we've had the, the substitute, the, the sacrifice that has gone, whose blood was shed in our place. And now we have what's called 
the scapegoat. So I'm picking up somewhere here. Go on to that next slide, Gabe. There we are. Leviticus He, when he has made an end of atoning for the holy place and the tent of meeting and the altar, he shall present the live goat. And Aaron shall lay both hands on the head of the live goat and confess over it all the iniquities of the people of Israel and all their transgressions, all their sins. And he shall put them on the head of the goat and send it away into the wilderness by the hand of a man who is in readiness. The goat shall bear all their iniquities on itself to a remote area and he shall let the goat go free in the wilderness. So we've had an animal whose blood has been shed as a substitute. The people didn't have to die. The goat had to die in their place. And now we have the second goat which I told you that Hebrew word Azazel really means a goat that you take away or that carries something away. Our modern version of that, our translation of that is scapegoat. Now that's a word we use in our modern language a little bit more. Propitiation, maybe not so much. Scapegoat, yes. Ever been one? <laughs> Ever wanted one? I've had different times where, like, can we pass the blame onto someone or something else? Do I really have to take responsibility for this? All the stories that are coming to my mind would be embarrassing for my children, and so I'm going to keep them inside. You're welcome. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to move us right along. But Dwight Eisenhower, you ever know anyone who Dwight Eisenhower was? Yeah? Former president of the United States. Here's what he had to say about a scapegoat. He said, the search for a scapegoat is the easiest of all hunting expeditions. <laughs> it's easy to find somebody to blame. Because that's what a scapegoat, that's what it means. The definition, a person or thing blamed for the misdeeds of others, But God had a plan here and very purposely said, we're going to have the, the priest is going to lay his hands on this goat and confess over it all the sins of the people. And that goat is going to take on itself all the sins of the people and then it is led away out of the camp away from the people, off into the wilderness somewhere where it won't come back. And it's a visual representation. You could watch this happen if you would have been in that camp as, as someone was appointed to lead that goat away. And you knew that Aaron had laid his hands on that and confessed over it all the sins of the people. And you could watch as those sins were carried away, never to be seen again. Isaiah 53, 6 says this about Jesus. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity 
of us all. He's laid everything on Jesus. Psalm 103, 10 through 13 says, He, speaking of God the Father, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is His steadfast love toward those who fear Him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. And we just keep going. John 1 29, when, when, when John the Baptist saw Jesus and he said, behold, the lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. There's this sense of our sins being placed on Jesus and he's carrying them away. First Peter two twenty four. he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree. He has carried our sins. He's taken them upon himself. You realize that every sin you have ever committed, if your faith and your trust are in Jesus, if you've turned to him and said, Jesus, save me. Jesus, I'm trusting you for my salvation. You realize that every one of those sins has not only been forgiven, it's not only been atoned for, it's been carried away. It's been removed from you. You are not carrying the sins of your past. Jesus has carried them. Everything that's held you back, everything that's held you captive, everything where you're like, I just can't get rid of this. I can't seem to break free from this. Part of it is just coming to a knowledge of the truth of what Jesus has done. Jesus has carried it away. He's removed it. That is great news. There's another big word that goes with this. I didn't put this one on the screen. We heard about propitiation. The atoning sacrifice brings reconciliation. Expiation, E-X-P-I-A-T-I-O-N. I passed the spelling test. Expiation is the word that means he carries it away. He takes it away and he removes it from you. And these are the two big words that go with understanding the atonement. A substitute who has atoned for your sin, the propitiator and the expiator who has carried your sin away. Now, entire books have been written on the atonement by much greater theologians than me. So we're not covering everything about the atonement in one day. But this is the the, the big things we want to understand. Jesus is our perfect mediator. He has the right and the ability to go to God on our behalf. He is our propitiation. He's our substitute atoning sacrifice. He is our expiation, our expiator, and he takes away and has taken away all of our sins. He has been our scapegoat. So what do we do with all this? Well, because Jesus has become our mediator, because he's become our substitute, and because he's become our scapegoat, 
suffering outside the gate of the city. Hebrews 13, 11 and 12 tells us about that. He suffered outside the gate of the city. Like the bodies, I have to read this to you. I'm skipping down to verse 27. It says, and the bull for the sin offering and the goat for the sin offering, whose blood was brought in to make atonement in the holy place, shall be carried outside the camp, their skin and their flesh and their and their dung, that's a word to have in there, shall be burned up with fire. And then Hebrews, the writer of Hebrews, looks back on this and says, when Jesus went outside the city gates, he was led out of the, the city gates to suffer outside. He said, this is like these animals who were taken outside the camp and their bodies were burned. Because Jesus has done all of this, suffered in our place, taken our sin upon himself, through faith in Jesus, you and I are made acceptable to God. Is your faith in Jesus today? Then you are acceptable to God right now. If there is unconfessed, maybe unknown sin in your life, You're still acceptable to God. But if there's areas in our life and there's sin areas, sin issues in our lives, we want to deal with it, right? Because of this amazing Jesus, this amazing God who has rescued us, taken our place, set us free. Why would we want to hold on to anything that is not honoring to him? We've been made acceptable. Now we live acceptably. Through faith in Jesus, our death penalty has been paid in full. Your death penalty has been paid. Guys, your death penalty is paid. You're free. You're free to live. You're free to live in Christ. You're free to honor him. Martin Luther had a a friend of his. uh, What was, they were trying to figure out how do we lead as people were rediscovering the scriptures. How do we do this? And they were kind of being cautious. This friend of his being a little bit cautious because he didn't want to, he didn't want to interpret things wrong. He didn't want to start applying things in the church and Martin Luther said to him, you got you to hear this. Don't hear what I'm not saying. Because this, this phrase is attributed to Martin Luther very wrongly. But he did say it. He said to his friend, sin boldly. What? Sin boldly? What are you talking about? His whole point was this. You're free in Christ. So follow Christ wholeheartedly. Go for it. Build the church. Preach the gospel. And don't worry about, am I doing everything just right? He's like, follow Jesus. And if you get off a little bit, he's going to guide you. He's going to correct you. He's going to bring that conviction to your life. So in that area of trying totally to follow God, he's like, sin boldly. Does that make sense? Maybe. It's, It's kind of a slightly confusing one. He doesn't... He doesn't mean 
go out and voluntarily, willfully disobey God. It means don't live in fear like I didn't fulfill everything completely. I didn't do everything just right. He said, just keep following Jesus and go for it. That's his point. It's a, it's a, yeah, it's a shocking statement. And it's twisted by people to mean do whatever you want, sin however you want, and don't worry about it. And that is actually the opposite of what Martin Luther <laughs> taught. Okay. Guys, through faith in Jesus, your sins, my sins, they've been removed from us. Through faith in Jesus, now our sacrifice of praise and our sacrifice of a life meant to honor him is now acceptable and God will receive you. You can come to him on any Sunday or you can come with us on a Thursday or it can be a Tuesday morning in your bedroom by yourself and you can come to God and you can say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, I worship you. And it is fully acceptable. It's fully acceptable. You have been made acceptable. You can live a life of joyful worship. This is the natural response of a forgiven people. A natural response of a redeemed people. Of a people set free from their death penalty. Set free to honor God. And to live free in his grace. Let's just pray. We're going to respond. If you're willing, you can just pray what I'm praying. And then feel free to adapt it a little bit. Jesus, thank you for paying the price for my sin. Thank you for taking my sin upon yourself. Thank you for setting me free from the death penalty that I deserved. Thank you for giving me freedom, for reconciling me to God. Thank you for accepting me. Lord Jesus, please forgive me for sinning against you. And I receive your forgiveness. You might just even say that out loud. I receive your forgiveness. By your spirit, Lord, help me to worship you now with my lips and with my life. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.